When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. They say three's a crowd, and it's a crowd Fulham desperately didn't want to be a part of. The hat-trick was completed last night as the Cottagers became the third and final Premier League club to be relegated this season. A 2-1 defeat to Burnley at Craven Cottage was the final nail in Fulham's coffin as they were lowered down to restart life in the Championship next term. Gaffer Scott Parker says his players gave him everything but it simply wasn't enough to stave off the grim reaper of relegation. Parker has been subject to speculation recently, but what next for him? And will it be at Fulham or will it be elsewhere? At the other end of the table, Manchester United secured top four at the weekend. The same can't be said for their opponents tonight, Leicester. The two square off at Old Trafford in the first game at the stadium since the protests which saw the clash with Liverpool, cooled off. The Foxes are still yet to secure their top four berth and are in the middle of a bit of a wobble. Meanwhile, in Manchester, Ole said Ole to El Matador. Striker Edinson Cavani has signed a new one-year contract extension. We'll take a look at all of the latest top flight action on today's Football Social Daily, the Premier League focused show with new episodes every day of the campaign. I'm Niall McCorn, and today on the podcast we've got two presidents, president of the Steve Bruce fan club, Marley Anderson, <laughs> and president of the Sam Allardyce fan club, Stefan Armstrong. How you doing, lads? Yeah, good, mate. Thank you. That was the most poetic intro I've ever heard to a show. We're talking matadors and incredible. <laughs> i tell you what, if anyone's listening after those interviews, uh, after those uh, introductions, interviews, I don't know what I'm about, uh, introductions, I'd be amazed because everyone's going to be like, are they, are they real? <laughs> Hopefully we've got returning <laughs> listeners who've got... <laughs> nah, surely not. <laughs> to be fair, I did do quite well in my romantic poetry module at uni, so I'm putting that to good use for once. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, there's nothing romantic about Fulham's relegation, though. The fans of the Cottagers will be absolutely gutted that they got relegated back to the Championship after just a season returning to the top flight. They are down. They lost 2-1 at Craven Cottage last night in the Premier League to Burnley, who secured the winner through an excellent Chris Wood strike. We were speaking about Chris Wood on yesterday's Football Social Daily, and he was the one to condemn Fulham to the drop. Scott Parker obviously dispirited last night after the match. Speaking to Sky Sports, he said this. I'm bitterly disappointed. I'm hurt. Uh, I'm gutted. 
there's been that looming over us for some time now. We've been in and around and flirted with this for for a long time. I'm gutted that we've we've not managed to to be successful this year. And what success would have been was us standing in this division. My players have given me absolutely everything this year. Everything I, I ever asked for, and I, I see that again tonight. Endeavour, desire, effort. We've fallen short on quality at times. You know, while we've had progression, while we've had moments where we've improved, we've fallen short at this level. So that's Scott Parker's thoughts on the game against Burnley. He says that his players gave him everything they could and perhaps it was a lack of quality which cost them in the end. Do you think Fulham fans can accept that, Marley, as a bit of a fact? They did all they can to survive and they just simply weren't good enough. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes you try your best and it doesn't work out. I feel like that was more of the case than Fulham, of them, than them, you know, just not being up for it. You know what I mean? I think... They they do what they do, Fulham. They come up, they spend a load of money, they try hard. Um, they look good in patches, mm-hmm. but um, it's never consistent enough. There's never enough consistent threat through, throughout 38 games. They're, they're sometimes uh, got a bit of a soft belly and they'll roll over a little bit too easy. And you've seen that against Burnley last night, I think. You know, Burnley aren't the hardest team to play against in terms of you know what you're going to get, but you've got to be up for it and you've got to... You've got to really compete with them, and you know you roll out all the cliches. You know every ball, you've got to fight for every ball. You've got to really scrap for every inch that they'll give you, because otherwise they'll steamroll you. And we've seen the you know the goals they conceded. They were, I mean, Wood's goal was good, but it should have been defended before um, before it got to that point where he was allowed to volley it in. Um, and Westwood's goal is simply just a long ball that that Wood gets, he wants it more than the defender and you feel like Fulham have conceded a lot of goals like that where a little bit more um a little bit a little bit more talent, a little bit more sort of organisation, um, or even experience could um could have stopped them conceding that. So no real surprise to see them go down. Um very much surprised that Fulham were, were two to one to win that game last night. Um which was printing money to be honest. Um the way Fulham have been, you never fancied them to win it. I think they said that on Monday Night Football as well. I think it was Carragher said you never fancied them to win that game. You might have fancied them to get a draw, but you never fancied them to go and turn Burnley over and, and give themselves another week at least. But it's um, that's a problem for Fulham. And they'll probably go down. They'll send all the lads on loan back last uh, like we did, like we said the, uh, yesterday. Um, and they'll see what they're left with and they'll have to, to regroup and, and to go again. It would be annoying for Scott Parker, considering that from set pieces, they've only conceded three goals this season, which means they're the tightest in the division in terms of goals conceded from set pieces. However, to concede goals so simply in terms of just basic defending would have kept them out. That must be a real kick in the teeth to Scott Parker. He also has been speaking about his future. This is what he said about what might happen next season regarding him at the helm. I feel like I know, and well, I do know, um, now is not a time to... Now is not a time really to, to, to go into in, into great detail. Um, we need to have some discussions and everyone will, everyone at the football club. We need to sit down, work out what we need to do to move forward and try and get off this this roller coaster at this present moment in time what we're on. And um, but right now I you know I it's not it's not time to 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 discuss that really. So there we go, that's what Scott Parker's had to say, Stefan. He says 
he's aware of his future. He didn't explicitly say that, but he kind of implied it. But he also suggested now isn't the time to say in terms of discussing what the next steps are. There's been a lot of speculation around Scott Parker and about whether he's going to be Fulham manager. He's actually won a lot of praise, hasn't he, for the way he's kind of conducted himself. He's been very good with the media. He's sort of quite a likeable guy. What's your take on him and whether he should stay at Fulham or whether he might be poached to go elsewhere? If I was involved with Fulham, I'd want him to stay at Fulham. He's he's one of the game's very few likeable people. Um, and the way he comes out and the way he speaks openly and he speaks well. He's got he's got uh he's got good opinions and, and good analysis very quickly after a game. Um he just he just seems like a good guy. He's the sort of guy who you want in charge of the FA or in charge of UEFA. Um, just seems like a an honest, genuine person, um, and you can see how much it means to him in in the interviews. Uh, so when when Gary Neville asked him last night, um, essentially, will you be full manager next season? He, I think he was biting his lip a little bit and uh, a bit of a tear in his eye, which suggests to me that maybe the writing's on on the wall and and the uh, you, you said you said there was nothing romantic about it but i think there's a beautiful romance in uh in, i'm doing my poetry <laughs> bit now as well in um in scott parker and fulham's love affair um and it is romantic how you can you can see kind of how much it means to both clubs but something isn't quite working right i mean They've, they've got the fewest amount of wins with Sheffield United in the league. They, they, they can't mm. score a goal. They've scored the second fewest goals. Um, yeah. they, the facts don't look good for him, Steph, do they? I mean, like no, you say, they've won five games. They're down. It's the second relegation on his CV, albeit he was at the tail end of the last one in the Premier League. He does have a promotion to the Premier League, obviously, as well, when he took them up from the Championship last season. But all in all, can you see why there is such a you know, a like towards Scott Parker because, you know, the stats make for quite grim reading if you take the bare bones yeah, of it. The, the stats are grim. Um, especially, I think at one point, maybe 10, 10 games ago or so, they were only point behind Newcastle and, and a few behind Brighton. It looked like they were going to do something and achieve something, but they ran out of steam. I think that's a bit to do with the squad depth, as we've, we've spoken about the amount of players that they brought in on loan. Uh, players like Josh Maggio gave him a little bit of oomph in mm. that in that push, but it's not been enough. Um, but the reason why I think we rate him so highly is because time time isn't really a, a commodity in football, and you can see that Scott Parker's trying to do the right stuff. Um, it, for me, it's just this constant battle between time, the tyranny of the urgent, let's have some immediate form of success by staying up. I think everybody can see that he's trying to build a team and build it in the right way and play football in the right mm. way. I think time's just run out on him a little. Interesting, because some of the sides he's been linked with, you discussed on yesterday's Football Social Daily, Marley, spoken about the likes of Tottenham Hotspur being linked with Scott Parker, which you couldn't quite get your head around, still can't. What do you think that What do you think the next step is then for him? It, I mean, Stefan thinks that it'd be wise to stay at Fulham. It sounded to me from his tone of voice in the clip we just heard there that he almost feels resigned to the fact that he's not going to be the Fulham manager next season. That's my personal opinion. I just wondered what yours was. Uh, it It did sound like that, didn't it? Um, as if you know, oh, I've did my best, but maybe it's time to go. Um, I'm thinking about his his options. I don't think he's got that many. Um, I don't think Spurs. I don't think that. I think that's just speculation. The whole Spurs thing. I think they'll go out and try and get a big name um, if they, mm. if if they can, maybe an Allegri or a Sarri or someone like that. And they they're really gonna chase success as they have been for the last 
seven, eight years in terms of appointing managers. Um, but there's for me, there's no better way for Parker to enhance his reputation than to stay with Fulham. He's been what's he been a manager for now? Like two years. It's not mm. a lot. It's not a long time. The only other job he's probably going to get, if he got a job in the Premier League, would be a firefighting relegation job, where he's got to come into another club and try and save them. No, I don't think anyone's really going to take a chance on him um, after what he's done with Fulham. Even though he, he's done okay, but ultimately still got relegated, still couldn't mm. start the defence, still couldn't make them score goals. Yeah. Ultimately, that comes down to the manager. So, if if Fulham are willing to keep you. Go down, learn from this um, second relegation in three or four years. I think he was involved in the first one as a player, I think. Um, mm. The second one as a manager. You know, that's a lot of experience to then come and fight another relegation battle in, in two years, if if that's if that's the case. If you can do that, if you can rebuild and get back up in the next couple of years and you're still there and you've done it, you come out of that horrific division to get out of again, just learn from this and make make your you know make adjustments the next time you come up because Fulham Fulham have still got a decent squad they've got a lot of loans they'll have to sort it out like I said before but you know once that's sorted you've got a core of of people you've got you know Tosin at the back was one of the best centre backs in the Championship last year which is why Fulham signed him they've still got him they've still got plenty of of players around that can do jobs in the Championship and be sort of there towards the top end of where of their position sort of thing. Mitrovic will still score you 20 plus goals easily um, if you can keep him and then come back into the Premier League if you get there and, and have another go at it because I don't think there's an, an, a different job out there for him where he'd have to go in as an inexperienced manager still, um, sort out the squad, get used to the club, put out the fires and then try and keep him up and ultimately if they went down Again, then all of a sudden his, his reputation's shattered and you're kind of saying, well, he keeps getting relegated. Mm, yeah, actually, interesting you mentioned Tosin because on yesterday's show you were discussing when West Brom went down, which players you think would be good enough to play another Premier League side next season. And the unanimous answer was Pereira. And I think from a Sheffield United perspective, the unanimous answer is Sander Berger. And I think Tosin as well is probably one that most people would pick up on and say he should be playing again in the Premier League next season. I quite like um, Anguissa as well. I think he's a good midfield player, but um, I do wonder how many of those Fulham players will be back in the Premier League next season, which is interesting considering the amount of money they spent. Stefan, they have dipped their hands into their pockets the two times they've been promoted to the Premier League and it's backfired. They've been relegated straight away. Does that mean the gap between the Premier League and the Championship is growing or is it the age-old thing about having tactical nous and being smart in the transfer market? Because you look at a team like Leeds United and Sheffield United last season, they seem to stay up quite comfortably. But actually, if you look at the sides that have gone down in recent seasons, a lot of the time it is teams that have come straight up from the Championship or sides that have kind of been clinging on anyway, such as Bournemouth and Huddersfield et al.? Yeah, I don't really know. You look at the sides that have come back up this year, it's the sides that got relegated the season before, likes of Norwich. Um, I think there probably is a little bit of a gulf. Obviously, there's a there's a bit of a financial windfall even when you get um, relegated from the Premier League. Um, mm. So yeah, there, there probably is a bit of a gulf. I found, if, if you look at Fulham, I just... It's unfortunate how there's always always seems to be a bunch of strikers who perform so well in the championship, but then when the moment comes in the Premier League, they just struggle. And somebody like Mitrovic, for me, is 
he's never really done it for Fulham in the Premier League, um, but he's he's great in the Championship. So it's it's making that transition, even for these clubs that kind of, as Scott Parker says, roller coaster up and down. Um, making that transition seems to be quite difficult, especially when it, it when we're talking about attacking players. Mm. Do you think there's a big gap, Marley? Seeing as obviously a couple of years ago you were in the Championship and won it quite comfortably with with Newcastle. Do you think that there is a significant difference between those sides coming up and the sides we already see established in the top flight? Yeah, definitely. Um, the week-to-week improvement is massive. Um, I think if you're in the Championship and you go in, you're trying to get promoted and you play like another top side, you know, that's the only real sort of Premier League-style challenge you'll get. And then, you know, you've got to do that week in week out and it's there's different different styles I think obviously a lot more teams in the Premier League play um, on the ground more and they, they build things and they press higher and things like that whereas in the Championship it's a bit more direct and a bit more physical um, and that, that can be massive and just the, the massive improvement of quality is um, is just huge I think you know you look at you look at teams in the Championship and they get up for certain games against certain teams because they want to to put one over on them. Like when Newcastle are in the Championship, every team comes to St James's Park trying their best to win, because uh, it's because it's Newcastle, because it's a big team that that quote unquote shouldn't be there, um, and they have to try and you know get their get their little day out. You know what I mean? And that that really frustrates me as a Newcastle fan because it's dead annoying to watch teams like Burton Albion play out the skin against you. Um, yeah. But goalkeeper has a world. Yeah. Ten men behind the ball. Yeah, Nottingham Forest <laughs> were the worst for it. I mean, Nottingham Forest got up for it as if it was their European, their third European Cup final. But um, yeah, it was. Um, it's a weird division, but it's it's one where you've got to you've got to bridge that gap somehow. Um, teams have done it. Leeds have done it um, convincingly. Wolves did it a couple of years ago, and they all. What I would say is they both had clear plans. Um, mm. Wolves had. The potentially dodgy uh, link with um, the agent, um, what's he called, the, the Portuguese Jorge fella. Jorge Mendes. Yeah, um, and they took you know Neves, Moutinho, all these all these Portuguese lads, um, and signed players from Portugal like Raul uh, Jimenez, mm. and they had that. And you, you can probably criticise it, but it was a genuine plan and it has worked. And then you've got Leeds as well, who finally got um, a top top manager, like one of the best managers in the world. Um, and it, it even took him two years or three years to get up or whatever it was. So you've got to have something that sets you apart, and I don't think Fulham have, have had that. They've, they've done what most teams do, um, chuck money at it, and it hasn't worked. If you look at Norwich, spent a million pounds last season, got relegated. Fulham spent far more than that on both occasions, and they've been relegated as well. So Fulham down to the championship after losing 2-1 to Burnley. Wouldn't be fair to discuss this game without mentioning Burnley. And Sean Dyche, who celebrated his 350th game in charge as Burnley boss with a win last night, Stefan, with a largely average squad. He's the longest serving Premier League manager. He's been at Burnley since 2012. I mean, what next for him? Because if you look at some of the statistics here, in his eight full seasons in charge of Burnley. In his first, he was promoted to the Premier League. The second, they went down. The third, they won the championship. The fourth, they survived in the Premier League for the first time since the 70s. Then they finished in their highest ever league position the season after since the 70s. Then they qualified for Europe. 
Then the next season, they qualified for their most points tally in a Premier League season. And now this season, they're safe for the sixth Premier League term in a row. So, you know, he gets a fair bit of stick for the style of football. And they're not the most attractive team. And I can understand why they're not a very fashionable team, as the old cliche goes. But there are plenty of people suggesting he doesn't get enough credit and that he's earned a move away. What's your general take on Sean Dyche? Because he often gets labelled in with the manager's you know, that are kind of classed <laughs> that, that I tend to like. As, yeah, as tub thumpers, basically. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's much more technical um than than what his appearance might suggest, you know what I mean? Like Yeah it's it's tough for, for Sean Dyche, I think, because he's he has got this ultimate Burnley label and he might find that difficult to get away from in his career. Like I'm, as you were talking, I was just kind of um, going through the list of Premier League clubs uh, where where Dyke could probably get a, a chance. I can't, I can't really think of one that would really, really want him. It's not for not having done well. It's just, it's just for, just, just for what this kind of almost stereotype about the guy and about the way that Burnley play football. It, it well, is... reports have linked him, Steph, to Palace, to Crystal Palace. And yeah. if he does go in there, is that a sideways step? Because it's a huge rebuilding job. He's going to have more money to play with. But as far as I'm aware, basically Sean Dyche gets more, gets paid more than the players at Burnley, which is how highly he's valued by that football club. I'm sure Crystal Palace could match his wages, but with the rebuilding job that needs to be done there at Selhurst Park with the amount of players out of contract and all the rest of it, is that too much of a risk for him to take that move? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that's a step up um, going to Crystal Palace at all. Um, I think it's a, it's a different kind of job uh, and it may, it may give a little bit of licence for more flair football, uh, especially if you can get the funds, but I don't think that's a step up. What... I'd be directing my question if I was you towards Marley. And um, <laughs> would 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 somebody like Dyke be appreciated at a club like Newcastle United? When I was looking through <laughs> the list of Premier League clubs, I was thinking, I was thinking, where would I send him? I was going to send him to Newcastle. Bloody hell! We'll, we'll send him back second class. <laughs> Goodness me, Steve Bruce followed by Sean Dyche. I'm not sure he'd be too happy, but I certainly think that a congratulations is in order. But, but, for Sean but Dyche. that makes a point, doesn't it? That that you know, we're so we're so keen to not not accept him in our, our clubs. Like, what, what's that saying? Um, because because unanimously, I think we'd all agree that he's done a good job at Burnley. Could he do a better that? job than someone like I don't know, Mikel Arteta at Arsenal, for example? Because Mikel Arteta was, I mean, I said this at the weekend and I was said it tongue in cheek and it was quite disingenuous, but I said it's going to take a lot now to convince me that Mikel Arteta is nothing more than the fellow who put Pep Guardiola's cones and poles out before training. Because, I mean, he's not done enough to impress me personally. He's won uh, a trophy with Arsenal, no doubt, but to finish mid-table in the Premier League with Arsenal is poor, to say the least. It's his first managerial job and he gets given the Arsenal gig. Now, Sean Dyche yeah. has earned his corn over a long it, stretch in the Premier League, and maybe he might do a better job. Who knows? It, it's name, it's pedigree. Have, have you ever seen the um, um, Drive to Survive uh, series about Formula One on Netflix? I haven't, but I've heard about it. So, if if you watch it, there's a there's a principal um, for a team called Haas. They're like right at the bottom of the pack, hmm. um, but he seems to know his stuff. But there's something just a bit not not quite very rock and roll and quite glamorous about him. It'd be like it'd be like Gunter from Haas 
taking a move to be technical director at Ferrari if Sean Dyke was to go to a team like Arsenal or Tottenham or something like that. Mm. It just wouldn't feel right. Is that just because of the scale of Arsenal is much bigger than Burnley? I don't know. We could have so many conversations about Sean Dyche, but we do want to keep Marley Anderson on today's podcast, so we'll move on very, very quickly. Uh, 350 games in charge as Burnley boss for Sean Dyche. Congratulations to him, but commiserations to Fulham. They are down, relegated from the Premier League after a 2-1 loss at Craven Cottage to Burnley last night. Plenty more Premier League action taking place this week, including games tonight involving Manchester United and Leicester. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall McCorn. Alongside me, Marley Anderson and Stefan Armstrong. Time to talk some of the more administrative things going on in the Premier League over the last few days, starting with the Champions League final, which is currently due to be played in Istanbul between Manchester City and Chelsea, two Premier League sides and all Premier League affair in that showpiece in the Champions League. However, Turkey has been placed on the UK's red list in terms of coronavirus cases, so Pretty much you won't be able to get there, particularly if you're a fan. So it doesn't make much sense for the final to be played in Istanbul. So talks are taking place currently, Mali, to move the final away from the Turkish capital. And I think that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, 100%. It, it's, it's the right decision. Um, the only thing is it seems to be unclear where it's going to be played. I think there's talk of Portugal. There's talk of... Um, England from everybody that's got a brain. I mean, I don't know why you would not have it in England, um, considering mm. how many stadiums we've got um, that are capable of of holding this this style, this um, you know status, big status game. Um, mm. I mean, Port- they're talking about Portugal, aren't they now? And it's I don't really know what problem that solves of anything. You know what I mean? Like the problem the problem with Istanbul is not Istanbul; it's how people get there. It's how two sets of English fans get there, and you're talking about coronavirus. Um, you could even talk about the the whole like the carbon footprint of what's the point in sending twenty thousand fans across Europe on planes and trains and automobiles to get to Istanbul. And it's the same with Portugal. It's not exactly, it's not close. It's closer, but it still requires a plane, or um, you know, twenty twenty hours of driving or whatever it is. So. It doesn't make any sense to me. It it only makes sense to have it in England, um, and I don't even think that's a that's an outrageous shout. I think UEFA need to just see what's right in front of them, and uh, I think they they're always been big fans of uh, of Benfica Stadium, haven't they? The Stadium of Light in 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 Lisbon, and it's an amazing stadium. Fine, it's it's great. Mm. It can hold any game. Um, you know, it, it can host World Cup finals, European finals, and everything. It's always in the mix. Um, but for this one, I mean, why not? Have, why not just have it in England? Why not have it at uh, maybe not Wembley, but you know, even I mean, people have been talking about Villa Park, haven't they? And you could you could have it at Villa Park. You could have it at Hampden Park, maybe in in Scotland. You could have it maybe at the Millennium Stadium in Wales. Um, you could have it at Twickenham or something like that if you want to have it in London and Wembley's not available, for example. Um, there's loads of places, but. I mean, they seem to be wanting to go with Portugal, which doesn't really solve any problems for me. Yeah, I think with the COVID situation in Turkey, things are looking not great over there. Whereas Portugal, I think, are one of the clear, uh, one of the countries sort of on the clear list. Let's just say from a UK perspective. So maybe that's why. No, they, 
the UK had no deaths yesterday. True, which so, is great news. So, which is yeah, fantastic it's, news. And it's, how many deaths, deaths did Portugal have? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure it would be more than zero. Well, so. yeah, we'll be talking about the latest coronavirus plans in terms of fans back in stadiums in a sec as well. But as for Portugal being the likely destination, Stefan, we've heard in the past that UEFA don't particularly like it when two clubs from the same country are going toe-to-toe in the Champions League final or any European final for that matter because it doesn't quite feel right commercially, let's just say. Do you think that's partly the reason why Portugal might be looked at as a, as a destination to host the event instead of Istanbul? And secondly, if you're a City or a Chelsea fan, a trip to Portugal it adds to the glamour, it adds to the prestige of the occasion. Would you rather travel abroad right now to watch your team play football or would you be happy with it just being at a, a neutral venue in the UK? Uh, I'd be happy just seeing my team, to be honest with you. Um, I'd find it a bit of a pain in the ass going to Portugal um, if, if I was a fan, um, knowing that I'm playing another English team. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I'm, even even in terms of in terms of it being more... Um, more of a commercial affair. Uh, I don't. I don't see how that can be improved by moving it from uh, Istanbul to Portugal uh, rather than having it in England. So yeah, agree with Ali. I'd I'd put it in Villa Park, halfway between Manchester and London. Done, easy. <laughs> Villa Park is a class stadium. I do think it's a great choice. If if you're insisting, if you're insisting on having it in a different country, Wales, mm. Ireland, Scotland, these are easy, much easier places to get to you can get to um you can get to belfast and dublin for under 100 quid on a ferry you know what yeah. i mean or or a or a, a flight so how many you know, tickets just... have been have been sold for the uh, final i'm not sure i'm not sure and i tell you what this is interesting because if it does move to the uk that might change the landscape slightly in terms of tickets first of all i want to tackle this suggestion that wembley should be the host. I think that's a terrible idea. And I'll just get on my high horse for a few moments as to why. The playoffs are meant to take place at Wembley over that weekend. And now all of a sudden, some of the supporters of those two clubs, Chelsea and Manchester City, who absolutely hammered their teams for being part of the European Super League because it was going to stamp on those teams below them in the football pyramid, now want to turf out those EFL clubs who have fought all season for a place in the playoff finals at Wembley just so they can play the Champions League final. The hypocrisy is absolutely staggering. I don't understand how the fans of these clubs can see how hypocritical they look by suggesting that. Forget Wembley. You've had plenty of days out of Wembley. Let teams in the EFL, in League Two, let those players who might never, ever get the chance to play at the National Stadium have their day at Wembley. Have their day in the spotlight at the National Stadium. You don't need to play the Champions League final at Wembley. Play at the Millennium Stadium, like Marley says, but not Wembley, because that completely flies in the face of everything you were complaining about two weeks ago. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about that. (laughs) The Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, here in the UK, has uh, been making a statement, at least yesterday. He came out and spoke about the latest stage of the country's roadmap out of lockdown, as he likes to say. On the 17th of May, which is in just a week's time, things will begin to change again here in the UK in terms of allowing fans back into stadiums. We will see up to 10,000 supporters allowed in grounds. It is a step in the right direction, and it means we could see full stadiums by next season. And I suppose, Stefan, it kind of ties into what you were saying about how many tickets. Well, if the Champions League final is moved, we could well see up to 10,000 fans there, which would be brilliant. Yeah, bouncing, bloody hell. Yeah, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Get, get it sent here and get get as many fans in as possible and then 
even as a bit of a celebration for what has been a long, hard slog of a season where, you know, the the only contact you've really had with football has been on, on Sky Sports. So it'd be, mm. it'd be great to get as many people there as possible. Yeah, do you think we might see full stadiums by next season, Steph? Do you think we're getting close to that point? Uh, don't see why not. I mean, I've got a few gigs lined up for summer, so um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't see why why I should be able to do that and football fans can't get in the stadium uh, and, yeah. and sit, you know, you know, half a metre apart from somebody else. Not a problem. Mm. And it's a great point because stadiums are outside and I think there's been a lot of frustration, Marley, from fans of football clubs or just sports clubs in general that, you know, they've not been allowed allowed to you know, sit outside in open air where we know the transmission of coronavirus is much slimmer than it would be indoors. Um, And we're also seeing at the FA Cup final, there's going to be 21,000 inside Wembley, which is 18,000 more than we saw the other week for the semi-finals. So if that's a success, these pilot events are a success, we could see more than 10k even sooner than we're anticipating. Yeah, um, hopefully it all goes well because... You know they they did they did the trial events didn't they in Liverpool where they had a they had a rave or three thousand person rave I'm not sure who the uh, what the the update on that is but it seems like that's gonna go uh, okay and test everyone and check the transmission rates and whatever you and hopefully that can all come back and we can have you know full stadiums by when's the new season start August like mid August so you can have um, you can have fifty thousand at Newcastle all armed with cabbages ready to go for Bruce um, <laughs> and everything like that because you know we've, we've missed out on sport for for a long time and I know it's not the biggest um, the biggest thing in the world um, in the in the grand scheme of things but you know we everyone's looking for everyone's having that taste now aren't they of, um, of coming back to normal in the UK um, you know going to pub gardens there's, there's been you know I've mm. sat outside in in uh, in pub gardens in the last couple of weekends in double layers two pairs of socks and uh, and a big skiing jacket because I'm just desperate to have to do something different that I haven't done for the last 18 months um, just because I want to <laughs> paint in the rain it doesn't matter in some gazebo or something that's getting blown <laughs> around in the wind um, but it's just it's it's a that sense of normality you just want it back um, yeah. and, and it feels like they're clinging on to all of the protocols as as much as possible. I don't see how if you've got twenty one thousand at a pilot for the FA Cup final, why that just can't be the case anyway. I know that a pilot is to see what the outcome is, but I mean, how is anyone going to know um, whether that's a success or not? And you can't hold back stadium attendances forever. You know, like you say, no deaths in the UK yesterday. Surely we can now let our hair down slightly more. Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, we've just got to just got to see what the decisions are made. I suppose. Um, mm. Although the one thing I would say is like they they are quite happy to suspend sport pretty quickly, aren't they? Um, when things start to go wrong, it, it tends to be the first thing that comes down in terms of the fans. Um, but we've, we're hopefully we're, we're we're there now. It seems like the general feeling in the UK is that we're nearing the end of this whole um, restricted life. Um, so hopefully. It happens and everyone can get back to normal because the the feeling of a match day is is something that everyone's missed for a long time. Mm. I hope so. I've got a table booked on Monday for a space inside in the pub. Can you believe it? (laughs) You're not sitting outside in 10 layers in a gazebo. There is Premier League action tonight. Crystal Palace and Southampton do battle, but that's 13th against 17th. So we won't be focusing on that too much. We'll be focusing mainly on Manchester United against Leicester. And we'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. 
This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast from Sports Social with new episodes every single day of the campaign. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss a single show right through the season, which of course has only a few weeks to go. Manchester United secured top four football with victory over Aston Villa at the weekend. They face Leicester City tonight at Old Trafford. Crystal Palace and Southampton also play, but we'll talk about that on tomorrow's podcast because unfortunately there's not a great deal of interest in that game tonight, sadly. Uh, so it will be the game at Old Trafford that we focus on. As I say, Stefan, Manchester United guaranteed top four. They're going to finish second at least uh, by the looks of things. I mean, I guess now they can rest a few players tonight ahead of the Liverpool game on Thursday. It's a run of three games in five days, almost unprecedented. United's busiest running for 30 years since the early 90s. Obviously, the Liverpool game on Thursday is a game they rather win. And now they know that they're guaranteed top four and Leicester can't do any damage to them. I suppose it gives Solskjaer a bit of a chance to rest a few players. 100%, 100%, yeah. Um, they'll, they'll rather want to make sure that um, Liverpool don't get in the top four than, than Leicester. So I think they'll be concentrating on that. Mm. But it, it's a bit of an awkward kind of time for Man United because they've got that big European final and they need momentum and need form going into that. Uh, I think Man U are always a team that, that feed off off their you know, pace and, and basically going into games with form. Um, they'll need that. So it's a bit of a dangerous time for them. I'd hate to see them kind of uh, take their foot off the, off the gas a little bit for Leicester today, then, then not get a good result against Liverpool. And then all of a sudden you've got a couple of losses for the first time in a few months. Um, so they'll they'll need to be switched on. Uh, and I think they probably will be. Um, Leicester, on the other hand, it's, it's, it's looking scary. It looks like they might do it again. <laughs> be in contention all season long and then just drop out at the last moment. Um, so for, for for those reasons, it'll be an interesting game, and I think I think it will be a bit toe to toe, which is which is good. I'll ask you about Rogers a little bit later because there is a possibility they could bottle the top four again. We'll come on to that shortly. But as you say about Manchester United, away from home in the Premier League, they're unbeaten this season. And they've only got one game to go to go unbeaten away from home in the Premier League all season. However, it's been at Old Trafford, Stefan, where they've come unstuck a couple of times, particularly in the league. Considering Manchester City lost to Chelsea at the weekend, and although City are going to win the league and there is a significant points gap there, if Manchester United hadn't dropped points in games they shouldn't have done, for instance, I'm thinking against teams like Sheffield United, where they really struggled. In fact, they lost to Sheffield United. Had they been a little bit better on their own patch this season, could they have actually mounted a, a more more of a challenge to Manchester City and even been considered true title contenders? No, probably not. I think Man City went through their own rough patch at the very beginning of the season. I mean, believe it mm. or not, there's a point where we were... We were um, Discuss- City were 10th. <laughs> yeah, we, we were discussing on the show whether Pep Guardiola is interested in Man City anymore. That was a conversation we're having. And then at one point, they were up for the quadruple. So, nah, nah. I think Man United have, have given it their all this season. And second place is mm. a deserved second place. But they've, they've not had enough. Um, they've not had that real consistency, both home and away. Uh, it's all been at away. And 
They've, mm. they've, they've struggled. To, I know they've kind of been labelled as the comeback kings, but nobody wants to be labelled as the comeback kings. They've, they've always had to fight their way. I mean, that fight their run way. out before too long, Steph, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've, they've had to fight their way back into into most Premier League games this season because they've gone behind. So, no, nah, mm. Man U are where they should be. Um, and if, if you would have said that at the start of the season, they would have taken that 100%. Ten times they've come from behind to win in the Premier League this season, which is the most of any team in the top flight this campaign. Obviously, this week is so hectic for United, Marley, with the Liverpool game just two days from now on Thursday. So, you know, two games in three days, almost unprecedented in the Premier League era. The security outside Old Trafford has been beefed up, to say the least. There's extra barriers, barricades, extra staff. We believe extra police as well might be deployed just to try and settle things down should anything happen there are suggestions there could be further protests this week considering there are two home games at Old Trafford in quick succession one of which is against Liverpool that was the game that was postponed a couple of weekends ago due to fan protests and people breaking onto the pitch and protesting at Old Trafford in that way would that surprise you if we saw some more demonstrations this week uh, no I think there'll, there'll be demonstrations I don't think they'll be as bad as the, um, the Liverpool game because um, obviously the Police will be more prepared for it, and the club will be slightly more prepared for it. I think the, the one of the reasons it was so bad was because the club w- were caught pretty cold um, by the they didn't expect it to be as big and sort of powerful as it was. Um, but yeah, I think you know they've got a right to protest as long as it doesn't go too far. I mean, seeing seeing people throwing cameras and and stuff like that um, in the scenes before the Liverpool game that was that was horrific because the, the cameramen have done nothing wrong. They're there for Sky. You know, they're not your enemy, Christ. You shouldn't be going mad at them, I don't think. But, you know, with a protest, there does tend to be some thick people who who get in. (laughs) So you are going to get that. Um, And yeah, I expect there to be more protests, but I think they've they've made their point. um, And I think they have been heard. And whether anything will happen off the back of that or not, I'm not sure, because, you know, in my experience of of protests and, and things like that with with my club rich people tend not to be that bothered about what people think of them um the glazers are, are one where they, they've been unpopular for however many years they've been in charge you know they know that they've knew that for, for years but they sleep all right at night because they don't care um i'm not sure how many protests you've got to have before that resilience cracks and they start to care because they've been in this for that long that they're in it. They've got they've got their plans, and the the plans are clearly working. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there anymore. So, um, I think there will be more protests, but whether they'll fall on on deaf ears or not is is another thing. Inside the club, it was Edinson Cavani who scored the third against Aston Villa, which pretty much sealed the deal in terms of Champions League football for Manchester United next season. He's also signed a new deal at the club, another year on his contract. He's extended his stay after plenty of rumours that he would leave at the end of the season. He's just a top striker. I mean, the movement, the ability to make an impact off the bench, the experience. He's quite no-nonsense. A bit of a throwback striker, actually, in a way, Stefan. Do you think that Cavani extending his contract at United means they won't dip into the market for someone like Harry Kane in the summer. Yeah, it's bittersweet um, because Cavani is a great player, and you've seen when he's had a run, run of uh, games in the in the team, he's he's he scores goals. Um, he's unbelievable 
aerially in the air. He's he's he's, he's class. Um, so yeah, six out of his nine goals this season in the Premier League have been headers. Yeah, exactly. So he he'll be great, and he'll be great for the for the rest of the squad at United. Uh, the reason why it's bittersweet is, as you say, um, that signals the end of Man United going after Haaland or Kane. I think, um, which which is a shame. I would have liked to have seen one of them players at Man United. Do you think that's because they've got Greenwood, Stefan? And obviously he's only 19 still and he's became Manchester United's highest scoring Premier League teenager over the weekend. Do you think that it's his development and his future that maybe has persuaded them to stay from putting a bid in for Kane or someone like Kane because they know that Greenwood is already showing excellent potential and that he could possibly be their new number nine someone you know they, it feels like at the moment they've got someone who's coming to the end of their career in Cavani mm-hmm. as someone who's just at the start in Greenwood and I guess they're supposedly looking for a natural overlap because Greenwood cost Manchester United well nothing because he's come through their academy so it saves them 150 million perhaps I've I've never seen Mason Greenwood really as an out and out number nine um at least at least not now I don't think he's he's built enough to to um to handle the demands of that of that role, I see him more as as a, as a player who comes off the wing, uh, much like your Martial's and your your Rashford. So, for Greenwood's um, career, it'll be interesting to see if Man United do uh, dip in for a player like Sancho, because that that seems almost like he's not going to take for you know the next ten fifteen game step up, which you'd need to do. Um, to really be that first team stalwart, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't see him as an out-and-out number nine, though, so I don't see him as a like-flight mm. replacement for a player like Cavani. I think that is mm. your Haaland or your Kane. It's a bit of a, an interesting one in general in terms of Manchester United's transfer policy. You spoke about it briefly on the podcast yesterday. Marley, particularly considering the reports of interest in Jade and Sancho, they seem to have cooled quite rapidly since Cavani signed his new deal Greenwood's been playing off the right of a midfield three cutting in there uh, and firing shots off and he he started to grow into that position and allegedly Manchester United are not interested in Sancho as much now because Greenwood's performed well off the right it almost feels like the young man is at the centre of everything they do from a transfer perspective because he can play as a number nine and they're saying now, people are saying now, well, they're not going to sign Kane because they've got Greenwood as a backup to Cavani or they can share the role up front. Martial's injured. He can still come back. But also, they don't need Sancho because Greenwood can play off the off the right. I mean, what more do you want Greenwood to do by the sounds of things? Yeah, seems to be a jack of all trades, doesn't he? Um, I still think you need to add, add quality and depth. Um, I feel like what they've done so far suggests they're not going to go and sign another striker. Obviously, um, you keep Cavani for another year, see what see what the situation's like in a year's time, and then and then let him go to South America if he wants to still, or um, you know um, see see who's who else who else is available. Maybe Kane's still at Spurs and has another bad season and he wants to go, or or maybe Haaland's still at, at Dortmund and and can be bought maybe, um, or someone else, and then. You've, you let you let Greenwood. You just they've just not got to block his uh, his path. Let him be what he wants to be, and then build around him. And I think that's what Man United seem to be doing. Um, I still think there's room room in the squad for Sancho for for definite. Because um, even though Greenwood is is quality and can play off the right, I feel like longer term he's probably more of a threat down the middle. Um, 
and then you you know Sancho is one of the best wingers in Europe um, off the right. So play him there. You know, build, put put you know put. Um, don't try and put square pegs in round holes. Just let's go and get circle circular holes to put in circles. You know what I mean? And Sancho is a right winger. You need a right winger. Greenwood is a goal scorer. Play him up front in in a year's time, maybe when when uh, Cavani goes, and you can give Greenwood thirty games a season as a striker and see what he does. Because I've got a feeling he'll score a hell of a load of goals. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's got a really bright future in the game. I just feel like maybe he needs to be a little bit more physical to play that number nine role. You just look at how wise Cavani is with his movement and how strong he is as well. People don't realise that about Edinson Cavani. He's exceptionally strong, almost in a kind of clandestine way. You don't really notice it. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's kind of got the better of you. Manchester United might not have Harry Maguire tonight. His attempt to try and play every single Premier League minute of a season for Manchester United came to an end at the weekend when he was withdrawn due to injury. So he might actually miss out this evening against Leicester. From a Leicester perspective, they've had plenty of injuries throughout the campaign, yet they've still managed to keep themselves well in with a shout of Champions League football next season. But they simply have to win, Stefan, because they're on a bit of a wobble at the moment. Their next two games are Chelsea and Spurs, two top four rivals. There's a five-point gap to West Ham, who do have much easier fixtures than Leicester. I mean, if the Foxes bottle top four again, there's going to be some serious questions of both the team and Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, they can't. They can't. That's all I'm going to say about it. They, they just can't. They, they, they can't lose out at West Ham now. It'd be a disaster. But it's not off the cards, and that should be concerning enough as it is. I mean, the one time you don't want to wobble is at the end of the season, and then when you've got Chelsea and Spurs next up, oof, they could do with a win tonight against Manchester United desperately. Yeah, yeah. Um... I think the Chelsea game will be the most interesting. It, it, it'd be when is that the second last game of the season for Leicester? The Chelsea game. Uh, well, they've got the FA Cup final to think about as well, so they've got to play Chelsea in that as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm. I'm worried for Leicester because they've, they've done it before, um, but I, I just can't see it. I can't see West Ham um, overturning five points. Um, with three games to go I just, I just can't quite see it Leicester will probably be quite happy to play a team like Tottenham who are also in a bit of a free fall um, so they'll be alright but why we're talking about it from a Leicester point of view is is almost outrageous because even a month ago it was looking it was looking really good for them yeah, well, Manchester United tonight, six o'clock kickoff for Leicester. Then the FA Cup final at the weekend against Chelsea at Wembley. Then Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, just three days later, Tuesday night. And then their final game of the season is against Tottenham at the King Power Stadium. I think the reason that Leicester are in the midst of a little bit of concern, Marley, is because the end of last month, they drew 1-1 against a Southampton side who had a man sent off and are in 17th place in the Premier League table. Let's make no bones about that. And then they were destroyed by your team, Newcastle United, at the weekend. So you've seen Leicester up close and personal more recently than both of us. What did you make of their performance against Newcastle at the weekend? What was it they were lacking? Why was it that Newcastle had such joy against them? Uh, well, what we're seeing is Paul Dummett has scored a goal and uh, Leicester have had the wheels just fall off out of... Um... <laughs> First goal in five years for Dummett yeah, as well, think, wasn't uh, it? Adele was uh, with Hello was number one the last time he scored. And I don't think she's released a song <laughs> since. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know, Leicester... 
I watched them the week before as well against um, against Southampton, and there was just some I don't know there's just something missing. I think Southampton played pretty deep, um, and so did Newcastle, and they were they were organised both teams, um, and at times you know Leicester have had enough, and they do have enough about them to to break down a stubborn defence. But then against Southampton, Madison was shooting from 25, 30 yards all the time. Um, against Newcastle, there was just no um, plan B when when. When you face that sort of back five, you know I've criticised it a lot this season because I hate I hate the way we play it. Um, but the back five, it, what it does give you if, is if you haven't got the ball and you you're willing to soak up that pressure, it's very hard to break down. Um, and Leicester struggled with that. They couldn't get Vardy's pace in behind. Um, they couldn't find space for Ray Nacho, even though he ended up scoring late on. Um, and Newcastle were were very good on the counter attack. Um, for once, um, you know we've we've played on the counter attack all season, but usually the the issue comes with not being good enough at the back. So if you can if you compare it like we did against Leicester um, on last Friday, you know if you get the uh, to borrow a Steve Bruce thing, if you get the balance right, um, it works. And you know it worked against them because I mean Soyuncu and Fofana didn't have the best game. I think they missed Johnny Evans massively. Uh, at the back, because I think I feel like he's the the organizer of the of the Leicester defense, and they struggle without him. But you know, the pace of Wilson and Saint Maximin and Almiron, and the energy of Willock from midfield was a massive thing to, um, to that Leicester couldn't cope with. And I feel like they just they are they will be starting to think as soon as they drop points, probably as soon as they went two nil down against Newcastle last week, they're probably thinking, oh god, I hope this doesn't happen again. Um, and it's only natural to think that, and the only way to to get through that is to just uh, to somehow grind something out, just get there, just drag yourself over the line if you can. I'm not sure how you do it, but you've got to do it. Otherwise, you know, we could we could see the same next season. If they do the same next season, they could finish third after 35 games and fifth after 38, like uh, like they might do this season. So I hope they don't, because they're, they're too good a team. And they deserve it to be in the Champions League. Um, but I hope that they can either qualify for the Champions League or win the FA Cup this season. Because I feel like the team and the job Brendan Rodgers has done is good enough to warrant some sort of success like that. I agree. They lost on the final day of last season against Manchester United. And that was a top four shootout. Still a couple of games to go. Three games, including tonight. The gap is currently five points between fourth place Leicester on 63 and fifth place West Ham on 58. Liverpool just behind on 57 in sixth as well. Are Leicester going to bottle it, Marley? No, uh, I think I think we'll get there. Just Stefan. No, no, they'll be all right. Okay, there we go. That's the verdict from Stefan and Marley here on Football Social Daily. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Of course, there'll be another one tomorrow where we'll look back at tonight's fixture between Manchester United and Leicester and, of course, Crystal Palace against Southampton as well, as well as you, as well as keeping you in the loop with all the latest top fight news because that's what we do here at Football Social Daily. You can also check out the website sport-social.co.uk for some of the latest news on the Premier League, including whichever of the 20 clubs you support. But that's it for today's episode. Make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another one. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.